find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 17, greatest stories ever told. This would be number four. Greatest stories ever told, number four. 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. This account in the scriptures has a very special place in my heart as we just see this lad, this kid, and he just loves God. He just believes that God can when nobody else does. And so just so many things for us to learn in this account. You know, you think of these great stories that we read through the Bible. I mean, these are, these are accounts. These are historical facts that took place. And if you know the life of David, you know he wasn't a perfect man. Um, in fact, he would ascend from chapter six, 16 where he's anointed as king and he would ascend all the way until he messes up with Bathsheba and then you just watch his life begin to go down. And so even as great as he is, we learn that nobody's immune from sin and nobody's immune from uh, the repercussions of sin. But just to read this account and to see this man, that man is, is known as the greatest king in the nation of Israel's history, uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful account. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just pray that you would open up just the scriptures to us as we desire just to learn, Lord, from you. And so we give you this time, we offer it up to you, we thank you, and we ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephes Demin. I can't even see, so I'm hoping I'm reading these words right. I'll, I'll try not to go with uh, Scripture. So the Philistines are the enemies of God. Um, we saw them go down. The, remember, the Ark of the Covenant was in their camp and um, it put it in their shrine, their house to Dagon and so we saw that in First Samuel chapter 5, and then they bring the ark in there, and Dagon can't stand before God. He falls down to his face, and uh, the next day they prop him up, and then the next day find him falling down face, face down, but his arms are cut off, and so just an interesting thing. And so those are the Philistines, and the Philistines would always be a thorn in the flesh to the nation of Israel. So they're camped and they're gathered and, and they're, they're in a territory that belongs to the nation of Israel, verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And so we're going to see that the Philistines are on one side of a valley. The nation of Israel is on the other side. Saul is the king. Is he God's king? He's the people's choice. Head and shoulders, taller than everybody else. He has great, great beginnings. But something happens. And uh, I'll just throw this out there. Do you think Saul will be in heaven? King Saul, this guy? Isn't he the one that tried to kill David? Yeah. Conjured up the witch at Endor and did all kinds of interesting things. How many of you think King Saul will be in heaven? Raise your hands. How many of you think he won't be in heaven? Okay, well, God's, God's gracious. Verse 3, then I, I don't have an opinion, I guess. I don't know. I, just, I think he's whack sometimes. And then, 
<laughs> I, you, you, yeah, you'd have to study through it. I, I jumped back and forth. Yeah, yeah, he jumped ahead and he was taking a role that didn't belong to him. Verse 3, then the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side uh, with a valley between them. And the cha- a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. This guy's about eight feet, 13 inches. Uh, he's nine foot something, okay? And so he's a big boy, if you will. And his name is Goliath. And so a giant for real though. It goes on to say in verse five, he had a bronze helmet on his head and was armed with a coat of mail and um, the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. I think it was 150 pounds of armor that he's wearing. Um, It goes on in verse six and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Uh, Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam uh, with his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. So, I mean, as I was reading this, I mean, the picture I got is basically his armor is protecting just about everything that it can. So it's covering his head. It's covering all his vital organs. It's covering his legs. And so there's really not much, I don't know, you know, just maybe a little window so you can see something. And, and you think of what this story represents, it's the giants in our lives, the trials that we go through, the difficulties that we have, the struggles that are insurmountable, the things that we don't have an answer for, the things that everybody would agree are bigger than us, and there's no way we can whip these things, there's no way that we can, we can win, it, the odds are just stacked above and beyond against us, it's impossible. And so this account, this, this true story of what is taking place here is just something that brings hope to the Christian. It, it brings just something of, man, my God, my God really can. And if God be for me, who can be against me? And so you just see this and, and it, I, mean, I don't know, I just, I want to scream when I, when I read it, when I study it. And I'm like, whoa, that's my Jesus right there, man. That's what my God does. You know, I just... I want to kick my heels together and do the, uh, what is that ice tea, the thing where they used to, the Toyota kick or the ice tea, icy plunges back in the water, right? All of those. I want to do all of them. Yeah. Verse uh, nine. Oh no, eight. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And so, you know, he's just calling out the battle. Kind of like a break dance challenge. You ever see those? except it's a battle to the death and everyone's looking at him and again one guy against one guy to represent the nation well one guy to represent israel and one guy to represent the enemy of israel the philistines and so on that physical plane again it's impossible but on the spiritual plane it's a whole different story so it goes on 
verse 11, when Saul and all, his, all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So not just dismayed, but afraid. And not just afraid and dismayed, but greatly afraid. And again, every reason too. And so for us, when we look at things with horizontal eyes, when we look at things on this plane and we see the impossibility of circumstances or situations, then we're looking with eyes of man. And the Lord wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to take him at his word, to trust that he has something in mind. And so we're going to see again as this develops the contrast between looking at things with eyes of faith and looking at things from a perspective of humanity. Now, David, verse 12, was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem of uh, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul in the, to the battle. The name of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Benadab, and uh, the third, Shema. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. And so we, we were introduced to them in the last chapter, if, if you, know, you remember, but Saul is rejected as being king because he wasn't following the Lord. He started out well, and he ended up uh, not doing so well. And so God had said to the prophet Samuel, I've rejected Saul is being king over Israel. Um, I'm going to choose a man after my own heart. And so the seven sons of Jesse are lined up in front of the prophet. He sees the two eldest and says, wow, <laughs> yeah, surely, man, that's got to be one of these guys. They're, they're handsome. They're tall. They're just, they're good looking guys. They look royal. And God says, don't look at their appearance for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I've rejected them. And so he goes through all seven and Samuel scratching his head saying, what's going on? Are these all your sons? Well, well no, Jesse says, I mean, I got a little ruddy guy in the field watching some sheep, but yeah, no, he says, bring them. We're not going to stop until all of your sons have passed before me and ends up being David is this man that the boy that is anointed to be the next king in, in uh, Israel. And so again, just. As you look at these guys from the outward, they possess everything that looks from man's perspective is right, is good, is, is, I don't know, whatever it is we do. We look at the outward appearance. But isn't that awesome about God? That he looks at the heart? I think that's so awesome because in the world, maybe we we're not the first one picked. Maybe we didn't, you know, make the cut. Maybe it didn't work out the way, you know. I, there are those people out there. I ain't mad at them, you know. But, man, the Lord looks at the heart and the intents of the heart. And if, if, you're, if you're on his side, not if you, you know, try to get him to be on your side, but if you're on his side, that's a beautiful thing. And so I love that about the Lord. We are, as I've, I've told many people, we are one decision away from being on fire for God. It starts with a choice. It starts with just the will to be able to, like Daniel would say, I purposed in my heart that I'm not going to be defiled with the world and the things of the world. And I love that about God. He will not reject 
an individual that turns their heart towards him and says, Lord, I don't have it within me, but I sure would like you to do something through me. And God doesn't reject or despise that prayer. He answers it in the affirmative. So David being a man after God's own heart and yet rejected, marginalized, ostracized by his whole family. Everyone who knew him thought, surely not David from the outward appearance. But God was looking at something deeper. And again, I just, I love that about our God because everybody has a chance. So verse 15, did I read 14? David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. Yeah, verse 16. And the Philistines drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Anybody know what the day 40 is in the Bible? Judgment, trial, testing, suffering, right? How many days did it, uh, let's see, did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. How many days was Jesus in the wilderness? Being tried by the devil, right? Testing, suffering, trials. What's the other 40? There's another 40. Moses on the mountain, 40 days, okay? So the number of testing. And so this, this enemy of God is taunting... Ah, the nation of Israel, for that period of time. Can you imagine seeing this guy and just, you're already afraid, you're already dismayed, you're greatly afraid, right? I just see it as a big bully, right? Punking you, just, just, oh, just, oh, stop already, like, we're already afraid. But he just does it over and over, 40 days. Verse 17, then Jesse said to his son David, take now your brother an ephah of the dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses. Is that what it says? Let me my, I can't even see. Cheeses. To the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. <clears throat> now Saul and they... And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. I find it interesting. Notice now David's with the sheep. He summons by his father to take provision to his older brothers, the three that are in the army. And he puts the sheep that he's responsible for in the care of another. That's a a tiny, ginormous thing. It's a tiny thing because anybody can do what David is doing. But what David finds himself doing, he's doing it as to the Lord and he's faithful with what he's doing. Even though it's a small thing, the Bible says don't despise the days of small things. And because God is not a respecter of persons, he doesn't care who wants to come in his direction, but he will not reject anyone who comes in his direction. And the truth is you cannot outgive God. He will be a debtor to no man. He won't let you outgive him. It's just his nature. He has to come at you stronger. As you come at him. 
And so we see David responsible with what many would marginalize or think insignificant, but not God. Verse 21, For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from in him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Notice the prize and everything that is, uh, they're going to say it several times, but it's all material. They're, they're looking at it on a horizontal plane. It's all, you know, man, you know, you're, you're going to, woo, you're going to get some loot. You know, you're going to get the hand of, of, of the king's daughter, Michael. She's no prize, trust me. Um, your, your, your dad's house is going to be exempt from taxes. It's all temporal. It's all horizontal and that they're so greatly afraid that that's not even a motivation because nobody has stepped up this guy's goliath is able to taunt the nation of israel to defy god in the presence of all of these jews and nobody is doing anything saul the king i mean he's the one that's taller than everyone right and he's the leader and i mean if anything it's on him right if nobody else, at least the king could step up, but he's just as afraid as everybody else. Then David spoke to the men, verse 26, who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Notice what he says. Who, who takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? All of his language, everything that he's saying is covenantal. It's all on a spiritual level. He's defying the armies of the living God, the living God, the, the Lord of hosts. Who's the commander of this army? God is. He's the one that's in charge. He's our commander in chief, right? And this, this Philistine isn't even circumcised. What does that mean? He, he's not even a covenant man. Forget that he's an outsider and that he's a Gentile, but had he been circumcised, he would have converted to recognizing, acknowledging the true and living God. He didn't do that. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. So it's not a physical thing that he's speaking of. He's speaking of a spiritual thing. This guy hasn't made a commitment to God. In fact, he, he's going above and beyond that, isn't he? He's defying our God. <sighs> but everything is on that spiritual level. As he looks at this, verse 27, And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those, notice, few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David could have said a lot of things, but I'm thinking, what battle? 
Where's where's the battle? You guys are all shaking in your boots. You guys are all being punked and you're doing nothing about it. And just, have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been, and usually isn't it from the people closest to you who think they know you? Do you know my heart? Do you know my heart? Do you know how much I love my Lord? Because David loves his Lord and he's accused of all these wrong motives. Could it be fear? Because he's, Eliab is just as fearful as all of the other nations of Israel. And now David is kind of pointing out, hey, we're not even doing nothing about this. No, but I'm talking about jealousy because Eliab saw him anointed to be the king. Yeah, I'm not sure where, but where the... That's coming. No, no, no. The timeline is definitely there because he did see him in chapter 16. He saw all of the brothers paraded in front of him and then little shepherd boy gets anointed to be the next king. So definitely that's got to be playing into it. But it's just, I would dare imagine that David has probably experienced this his whole life. Why aren't you with that few sheep? Go, go, go do your little punk thing, dude. From his brother. And, his, and he's saying spiritual things. He's judging his motive, and that's not David's motive. It, it really isn't, because if you read the context of everything that we're reading, all he's doing, all David is doing is pointing to God. All he's doing. And everyone else is scared. Verse 29, And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him, as the first one did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he was a man of war from his youth. I love that scripture in Timothy that says, let no one despise your youth. But be an example. Be an example. And so, again, God not being a respecter of persons. I think we looked at um, um, Joseph and Mary last couple weeks, looking at the birth of, of Jesus Christ, right? It had to be young and yet godly. And so God, again, God is not in care. He doesn't care age. He doesn't care mistakes in the past. He doesn't care where you've come from. He doesn't care your just all this stuff. He just cares. Will you step at me? Will you come to me? Will you let me through you? Verse 34, Then David, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And so again, what does David point to? It's not a boast. He's just showing God's faithfulness in his life before as he, and, and here's where a lot of Christians struggle. It's like, where, is, where am I and where is God? 
And this is unfortunately what I see a lot. All right, God, you're going to do it. And I'm going to watch TV. Okay, turn to Whew, yeah, God, God's going to do it. And I'm going to watch me some more TV or whatever, right? Play video games or do whatever. I'm going I'm to take a nap. I'm going to get a pillow that's just right. I'm going to take a nap. It's like at some point, you know, where does one end and the other begin? I don't know. God's going to do it. But at some point, we've got to step out. He had to step out to kill a lion. He had to step out to kill a bear. And to grab the lion except by his beard? And it's, I mean, he had to be involved, right? And so the minute we want to get involved, God's like, yeah, I'll do it through you, but you got to show up. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head and also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. How many times do we try to do something in somebody else's armor and it's not our own? And that's what I love. Another thing I love about our God is it's a personal relationship with your creator, with your savior. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. And he's always preparing us for what he has prepared for us. He's looking for faithfulness in the little so that he can bless us with more. That is just the way God works. That is how God has always worked. That's how God will continue to work. As you are faithful with the little, God will bless you with more. He will open more doors of opportunity for you. But you have to walk through the doors that God opens. And so he's doing the supernatural work in and through you, but you have to step out in faith and trust that he is going to do that work in and through you. It's just how God works. And so he he takes this this armor that doesn't belong to him, because it says twice, he had not tested it. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the book, brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. Now, this is what he had tested, huh? He knew his slingshot and he knew what stones were and these were five smooth stones. Anybody hear stories of why five? There's only one enemy, Goliath, right? Why five? Number of grace. Because why? He, he did have four brothers. We see that later on in, in the same book. Okay, yeah, a lot of different things we can come up. Number of grace, can't, can't, can't avoid that, can you? Um, and when, verse 42, uh, the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy, which means red-headed, and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, am I a dog is worse than it sounds. In one of the previous Old Testament books, it's a reference to male prostitutes. And so it's a, it's a very derogatory um, I can't throw the words out, but you use your imagination. We call people derogatory things as we throw them out there. But that's, that, he's like really, really trying to insult him. And so he sees this little punk kid coming at him. Verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Now, right here, we could stop. Because it's, 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 it's unfair. We, anybody who knows the, the reality of what we're reading knows it's, it's done. The story's over. Because it's not fair, right? You have nine foot something Goliath with his armor bearer going in front of him, two against one, but it's not really two against one. It's two against one with God. Oh, Goliath. <laughs> I feel so sorry for you right now. I mean, you don't even need to, you don't even know the story, but you know how it ends, right? You have to know how it ends. Then David said to the Philistines, oh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 46, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you, uh, give the carcass, carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth, <laughs> the nation of Israel and the Philistines may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And notice, he doesn't say into my hands. He says into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And that's where it's time to, he didn't stop and pray. He didn't remind God. He didn't, no, it was time for action. And again, I've seen it over and over in ministry. This is where so many fail when it's time to pull your sleeves up and to run at the enemy, to run at the battle, to run at whatever it is that God is calling us to run at. I already know that God's with me. I already know that he's given me the victory. I already know that he's going to do this work through me. At what point do I begin to step out in faith and run at the problem, situation, whatever it is, right? And he ran at him. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. I, as I was reading this throughout the week, I'm just like, there's not a crack. There's not like a, a vulnerable, it's got every, he's covered from everywhere. And so to run at him and to be able with that accuracy, take that slingshot, it, it wasn't like, it's not like ours, right? You know, we, we have those ones. It's one of those, you know, little pouch thing with a string and you have to, you know, and you have to release it. It's wrist action. I mean, just the skill level. But again, he was faithful. He was faithful. And he, his, I guess, not freaking outness was due to the fact that he was trusting the Lord. But he was doing what God had called him to do. Um, verse 49? 50? No. Did I read 49? Yeah. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I thought they were going to serve the nation of... Israel, right? One guy, one guy. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and of the gates of Ekron and the, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road of 
Shurim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. Now I find that kind of strange because David had been playing harp for Saul already. So the king said, inquire whose son this man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Uh, an important note on the enemy, the enemy will always overpromise and underdeliver. The enemy will always say and not do. All right, just one guy against, you know, our guy, Goliath. You just pick out one guy and whoever wins, that army will serve the other army. No, they lie. The enemy lies. Okay? And the way the enemy lies is he'll take a shell of a truth and stuff it with a lie. And so you have to be careful because you begin negotiating with the enemy and you think you're getting somewhere. And it's the perpetual carrot in front of you that you never attain, never get. There is a cost to serving the Lord. David's confidence was in the Lord. But for whatever reason, if the Lord, you know, decided to take him home that day, could have took him home. But David's confidence, his faith, his trust was in the Lord. And he stepped out in that faith. Pastor Chuck, has a uh, uh, chapter in the Distinctives book of Calvary Chapel, and, and it, one, uh, one of them is titled uh, Ventures of Faith. And Ventures of Faith are just that. You take a venture in faith. You step out in faith. You're trusting that God is leading you. He's guiding you. And if he doesn't, he's going to redirect you and guide you. If it's not of God, if it's not something from the Lord, in this case, we see David prevailing. We see him getting the victory. His confidence, it wasn't a boasting in self. You never see a boasting in self, even when he's talking about himself, that he killed the lion and the bear. It's, the Lord delivered them to me. I was taking care of the sheep. I was doing what God had called me to do. And in that moment, that which was under my care was under attack, and God gave me the strength and the ability to be able to protect them and get it done. And so just throughout the whole story, I just see... Man, just the faithfulness of God, but what an awesome, awesome picture of somebody who is so not, um, you know, you wouldn't pick him out in a lineup of going to be the hero, right? And yet God does this incredible thing. And so for us, no different. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that we would step out in faith and take God at his word and trust Man, if God be for me, who can be against me? One with God is a majority. I think of Martin Luther coming out of Catholicism. All that existed at the time was Catholicism. There was no Protestantism, right? He's the founder of the Protestants. And so he saw the wrong things that were taking place in the church. He saw that these indulgences were being sold. People were selling God's forgiveness. Actually, the leaders in the church were selling God's forgiveness. And that was the biggest thing that he struggled with. Because basically they were saying, you can sin on Saturday if you pay us on Friday. 
So you can have a preconceived idea that you know you're going to go out and commit sin on Saturday, just pay the church on Friday, and we'll give you a pass to be able to do that. Because they wanted to build the church. And Martin Luther saw that and he said, nah, I, 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 it's wrong. And he came up with 95 things and he wrote it. It's called the 95 Theses. He came up with 95 things, but most of them, I've read them, most of them deal with indulgences. Most of them deal with the fact that the church was taking money from people in the church. The leaders in the church were taking money so that people can sin freely. And he knew that that was wrong. So he hammers this thesis on the door of the church and somehow it gets out. They print it and it's distributed throughout the land and it catches wildfire fire, and people just this big gigantic protesting against the church happens. And, and, and as you study it, I got to teach church history three years. As you study church history and this time in church history it's literally like Martin Luther against the world because the whole world believes that the Catholic Church is the only church, the only representation of God at the time. And so he's coming against the establishment, but he wins because what they were doing was wrong and God was with him. And you start the Protestant Reformation. The church is reformed through the Protestant Reformation. Again, one with God being a majority. And so sometimes things do look for us, I think, um, impossible, insurmountable, odds beyond against us, right? But if God be with you, who can be against you? And we have to trust that the Lord has you know, certain things for us and we have to step out in faith. And what I love about David was he was a man after God's own heart. And nobody knows what goes on inside of you, but you and the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. There's so many like things for us to learn. Like, don't try to put somebody else's armor on. Like, it's not that's you know, don't battle the way maybe somebody else. I think people can be examples. I think it's neat when God gives us godly individuals that we can appreciate. But ultimately, it's you and the Lord. It's your private, personal walk with Jesus, your Creator, the lover of your soul. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing because so many people. They judge us on motives, and oftentimes, they don't know our motive. We are trying to do one thing, and it turns out, you know, when we're trying to be bad, sometimes it turns out good. People are like, yeah, you're so great. If you only really knew, I'm not that great, you know? And then we do something, and it turns out bad, and it was like, no, for real, I'm trying to do good this time. And, you know, people are always just miscalculating and misrepresenting, and, but the Lord knows our heart. He knows we're weak. He knows that we need Him. But he also knows when we're for him. And so I love that about the Lord.